We like confident people. We're naturally attracted. Now, sometimes they repel us, but we're just naturally attracted to confident people because down deep inside, I think a lot of us struggle with confidence. We just think, you know, we like, I, I just don't have the confidence. And I know I've struggled a lot with confidence over the years. And I'll tell you this, every time I struggle with my confidence, I never do well. If I start doubting myself or things like that, I never do well. And, and I look at people like there was a French prime minister uh, by the name of Georges Clemenceau that was known for duels. Back in the good old days, I don't know if they were good, you would solve your angst by having duels. And um, one time he was going to a duel in Paris and his traveling companion noticed that the prime minister only bought a one-way ticket. And so his traveling companion was a little nervous and he said, uh, Sir... I mean, we're going to a duel and you're buying an only a one-way ticket. He said, don't worry, that's always my practice. I'll use my opponents to get back home. Talk about confidence. Uh, last night, did anybody watch the Alabama football game? I did. That's not a great game, Roger. Man, that was a nail-biter game. Roll Tide, I declared. After all these years, I never would declare at my church if I was Alabama or Auburn, but I declared last night, I'm going to go Alabama. And... Uh, Man, that was a nail-biter game. Now, if you watch an Alabama game, you'll always notice there are people there with the hats, the checkered hats or the checkered outfits, and that's in honor of Bear Bryant. And he's kind of worshipped in Alabama as a great coach, although I think Nick Saban may pass him up for the number of wins if he wins the national championship this year. But there's a story of years ago where Bear Bryant was out duck hunting with John McKay. Now, if you remember the old sportscaster John McKay, and Bear Bryant and John McKay were out duck hunting, which is something they do a lot in Alabama. And uh, they've been there about three hours, no ducks. And finally, the duck flies up. And old Bear Bryant gets his shotgun and goes, boom. And the duck just keeps flying. And he turned to John McKay and he said, John, you are witnessing a genuine miracle because there flies a dead duck. He was just a confident guy. I killed that bird. I don't know why he's flying, but he's dead. You know, and, and when we're, we're attracted to confident people, we, we tend to gravitate towards confident people. Sometimes we don't like confident people, but we tend to gravitate towards them because they feel secure in what they're doing. And so we feel secure. They seem to know that they know what they're doing. Now, I'll give you a secret. A lot of times confident people don't know what they're doing, but they act like they know what they're doing. And so we follow them thinking they know what they're doing because they inspire us. When people have confidence, they inspire us. And they inspire us to say, man, I wish I could be that confident. Or how can they be so confident? How can these people be so confident? What's the secret about being confident? And again, I've learned that confident people don't necessarily know everything. But what I've learned about confident people is they don't try to know everything. But what they do know, they know. And you follow me and I will teach you what I know. Or they confident people have a vision and it's going to be the vision. And if you don't like the vision, just don't follow me. But I'm going for it. I'm not going to be stopped. And so, again, there's those confident people. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with confidence at times. But here's the thing. As John's wrapping up his letter and we're going to go to first John. So if you want to turn there, we're going to look at it this week and next week. And then we'll be done and then we'll be into our Christmas season. John is dealing with a church that is struggling with false teachers. There's a lot of false teaching that's starting to come into the church. And there's people who are 
becoming what later became known as docetism and Gnosticism. Jesus wasn't really a man. He just appeared to be a man. Or as uh, Corinthians taught, he, he was a man until his baptism. And then the Christ came down and he became God-man. And the Christ went up at his crucifixion. And so he just died a man. But he was never fully God, fully man. Then there was Gnosticism that was starting to get root here in the first century, the latter part of the first century. It was the idea that there's secret knowledge and you just don't get it all and you just you just really got to get no. And so as a result, John sensed this, all these false teaching coming into the church, and he sensed there was just a lack of confidence. A lot of believers are like, Am I really saved? Uh, you know, how, I, does, does God really hear me when I pray and things like that? So as he's wrapping up his letter. John is saying to Christ followers then and now, listen, you need to be confident. You can be confident. And what he's going to talk about today is this. Christ follower, you need to be confident and you need to be confident in your prayer life. So turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5 real quickly. And we're just going to take a look at what John says here, and then we're going to look at one more section next week. But this today, I want to challenge you to be confident in your prayer life. So here's what John says in chapter 5, verse 14. He says this, This is the confidence we have before Him. Whenever we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, He hears whatever we ask. We know that we have what we ask Him for. Now, one of the words that you're going to see as John ends his letter, he's going to say it a lot. Now, he said it a lot through his letter, but he really says it a lot here at the end, is this word, no, no. Right here in verse 15, this twice. We know that we, what he hears, whatever we ask. We know that we have what we ask for. And so John wants his audience and us to have confidence. Now, let's just be honest. Have you ever struggled with confidence in your prayer life? Have you ever had those prayers like maybe there's a wayward relative or a child and you're praying that he or she will repent, but in your heart, you're not so sure you believe it's going to happen. Or maybe you have a, a friend or a relative who's a drug addict and they've been into drugs for a long time and you're praying that God will do a miracle and they'll get off those drugs, but in your heart. You're just not sure you have confidence that it's really going to happen. And so you get up off your knees and you're like, I don't know. You know, I'm praying. I don't know. Have you ever had struggle with confidence in your prayer life? I have. Sometimes I wondered, is God really hearing me? You ever had that thought run through your mind? Am I just talking to the wind? Am I just praying to the carpeting? Yeah, are my prayers hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down? Have you all ever felt that way? I know I have. I'll just be admitting it. Some of you all don't want to admit it. Maybe some of you all are looking at me like, yeah. Have you ever struggled with confidence? I mean, what is the point? What is confidence? Well, when you look at the definition of confidence in the dictionary, it says full trust. So what John is saying, if you go back, just to paraphrase, he is saying, listen, Christ follower, you can have full trust In God that when you come before him in prayer, you can have full trust. Now, full trust in what? Well, if you go back to verse 14, John says you can have confidence that he hears us. What I want you to be confident about is that he hears us. And let me ask you a question. Don't you just want to be heard? Have you ever heard people say that? 
You don't have to necessarily agree with me. I just want to be heard. Just let me tell you what's going on. And maybe sometimes you struggled with and you wondered, does God really hear me? I mean, I'm not so sure if God's hearing my prayer about this wayward child because the wayward child hasn't done anything. There's been no change in his or her life. I'm not so sure if God's really hearing me about my financial situation because I'm struggling in finances. I'm praying, but nothing's changing. Is God really hearing me? I'm not sure if God really hears me about my marriage because my marriage is struggling and I'm praying, but nothing's really changing in my marriage. I'm not sure if God's really hearing me. I'm not sure if God's really hearing me about this job situation because I don't have a good boss and I hate my boss and well I'm struggling with my boss and and I just don't know if God hears me about this or I'm not sure if God really hears us about our church I don't know things just aren't seeming to move forward and is God really hearing us and John is saying listen you can have confidence I want you to know Christ follower you can have confidence you can have the full trust that God hears you now You say, but how can I have confidence? How can I have confidence that when I'm praying, God is actually listening? John tells you how. Here it is, verse 14. got to pray according to God's will. Look at verse 14 again. Now this is the confidence we have before Him. Whenever we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. The confidence that he hears me is when the caveat is I have to pray according to his will. Now, here's the big question. How in the world do I know what God's will is? You ever had that struggle? How how do I know what what is God's will for me? Well, I honestly don't think it's a secret. Right. The Bible makes it very clear what God's will is for you. Uh, I, I struggled with that for a long time. I grew up my entire life being told, you got to find God's will. you got to find God's will. As if God's like, it's over here. No, it's over here. No, it's over here. Huh? you got to find over here. No, you got to find over here. Look, if God's a loving Heavenly Father, you're, if you're a father, you're not going to say, hey, kid, I want you to know what I want you to do for me. And your kid says, what do you want me to do? Oh, I don't know. you got to figure it out. <laughs> but I love you. you got to figure it out. But I love you. No, if you're a loving father, you're going to say, here's what I want you to do. God's not going to secret hide out His will. What is his will? Well, I'll just tell you how you know God's will. You align your heart with God's heart. It's not a secret. You say, what is God's heart? Well, in chapter 3 here, 1 John, John said this, Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. In other words, we need to be doing things and we don't need to be withholding compassion and here's what he says you go down a couple verses later he says dear friends if our conscience conscience doesn't condemn us we have confidence there's that word because john wants us to have confidence we have confidence before god and can receive whatever we ask from him because here's why we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight here's the deal You know what God's will is? It's simple. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's it. You want to know what God's will is? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. It's as simple as that, folks. It's as simple as that. You say, well, how do I know if God doesn't want me to go to Tanzania like this missionary? How did he know that? You know how he knew it? He loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he began to get a burden for the people in Tanzania. And he said, I want to go. It wasn't a secret. 
I, I believe if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it's taken me years to finally realize this, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, He will give you the desires of your hearts because the desire of your heart will be aligned with the desire of His heart. And, and so if you love the Lord God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love to program computers, and that's what you love to do, guess what? I think that's God's will for you. Just program computers and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And later, if you get a desire to go work in an inner city mission, well, then follow it. It's certainly in line with God. Again, we, we, we make these things into really difficult games. Now, so John's saying, listen, if you're conscience is clear you're you're loving god with all your heart soul mind strength loving your neighbor don't just talk about it do it you're going to be aligning your will with god will and god's going to give you what you ask now again this is here's the thing if you want want to make sure you want to have confidence that god hears you it's about praying his will's done not your will okay it's his will to be done not your will so if you're praying and your conscience condemns you then A, you must have some unconfessed sin in your life you need to deal with. If you're living in sin, obviously you're not loving God with every heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're dealing with unhealthy relationships with other believers, obviously you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not loving one another. If you're not unwilling, if you're not willing to let God's truth abide in you, then you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're not allowing Christ to live through you, you're not loving God with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you pray and your conscience condemns you and you're like, oh, I feel this weight, this conviction, then you need to repent and confess and then you're clear and you'll show it by your actions again john says if our conscience doesn't commend us we have confidence before god and we can receive whatever we ask of him because here's why because we keep his commands which is to love him with all your heart soul mind and strength neighbors yourself and to do what's pleasing in his sight and that's exactly what john is saying again in verse 14 of chapter 5 this is the confidence we have before him. Whatever we ask in according to his will, he hears us. So knowing God's will requires aligning yourself with God's heart. And how do you do that? You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It begins by accepting Christ as your Savior. That's the beginning point. And then it begins by growing in your relationship with him and putting into practice what you've learned it, it begins and continues with walking in the light as he is in the light it continues with actions and not just talking and here's what john says in verse 15 and if we know that he hears whatever we ask so if if you have that confidence we know that what we have we have asked him for in other words, if you're praying according to God's will and, and, and you're walking with Him, He will do what you're asking for because guess what? That's what He wants. You say, well, Jim, I don't understand that. How do I pray for a, a wayward child who's making bad decisions? How do I pray for that relative who's a drug addict? How do I pray for that job situation, that marriage and things like that? Well, again... Yes, pray for that wayward child to get off the drugs. Pray for that job situation. Pray for that boss. But pray that God will intervene. Pray that that wayward child comes to know Christ as Savior. That's God's will. 
If that wayward child is a professes to be a believer, pray that God will break through in their life. He'll put people in their fat path that they'll respond to the gospel again. I always I always use as my model Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As a human, he did not want to go to the cross. He knew what was going to happen. He knew his back was going to be flayed open. He knew he was going to be publicly shamed. He knew that people were going to curse at him and spit on him. He didn't want that. Who does? And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, if it's possible, if there's any other way, please let this cup, let this cross pass from me. If there, if there's any other way we can do this, Father, but not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to necessarily go to the cross as a human, but I am wholly sold out to your will. I will do exactly what I'm called to do because I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So here's my challenge. Be confident when you pray. But the, and be confident that God hears you. But the way that happens is you're praying according to His will. How do you know His will? You're aligning your heart with God's heart. How do you align God's heart with your heart? You love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You prove it in your actions by loving your neighbors yourself and loving one another. And here's what John says in verse 16. Let's keep going through this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, we're talking about a fellow follower of Christ that does not lead to death. He should ask and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't bring death. In other words, what John's saying is you're expected to pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ. You're expected to pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, are you all awake this morning? Because we're getting ready to put on some waiters. All right. Now, somebody asked me if I was still wearing waiters when I baptized. I gave up on waiters long. I decide I'm done because every time I bring somebody down, my waiters open up and in comes a flag. So I'm just I'm done with waiters. So um, not doing that anymore. But I'm going to need you to put on your waiters. OK, you all ready? We're getting ready to go into deep weeds. You all here? All right, here we go. Hang on with me for just a second. When the Bible uses the word death, most of the time it is referring to separation, not extinction is referring to separation, not extinction. In other words, believers are often said in the New Testament to be asleep because we are separated. When a believer dies, their body is separated from their soul. They are separated from us here on this earth. Okay, when a person dies, they're no longer able to interact with people, with their loved ones on their, this earth. They're no longer able to interact with this planet, so to speak, because they're out of the body. Death doesn't mean extinction. It simply means separation. And there's two types of death. There's physical death, which we all know about because uh, people pass away. We all know eventually we're going to die. And it happens when our bodies are no longer able to function because of disease or just simply aging. And so our bodies are no longer able to sustain themselves. So at that point, they shut down. Our soul is separated from our body. We are physically dead because we are in a state of separation. But the worst death is spiritual separation. That is where a soul is separated from the love of God the mercy of God, the peace of God. And it ultimately happens when a person is in hell. That is the worst kind of death. It is spiritual death. So, so when John says here in this passage, because we're getting ready to hit some deep weeds and just hang with me and follow my logic. 
When John says, if you see a brother or sister committing a sin that doesn't lead death, here's the good news. A Christ follower cannot spiritually die. You have life and life more abundantly. Jesus said, even though you die, you will live. Okay, so a Christ follower will never see spiritual death. We may have physical death, but we're never going to be separated from the love of God. If you don't believe me, read Romans chapter 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Paul goes through and lists all sorts of things. And he says, I'm convinced that nothing on heaven or earth or under, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. A, a, a believer, a true Christ follower, will never die spiritually. However, true believers can commit sins that don't lead to death physically, and true believers can commit sins that will lead to death physically. For example, lying won't necessarily kill you. I guess it depends on who you lie to or cheating or adultery. Those things don't necessarily lead to death or they can lead to death. But I think what John's saying is if you see a Christ follower committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, maybe you know a Christ follower who's in, engaged in gossiping or lying or cheating or stealing or even worse. John's saying, look, you need to pray. For that Christ follower. And you need to pray that God will give life to that person. You, you say, what, what does that mean? I, I, you pray that God will bring the person into their life that will encounter them. Maybe there's, maybe they need to have an encounter with somebody. Or, or, or pray that God will open their eyes. They'll just, whoa, whoa wait, what am I doing here? Okay, Why am I doing this? Pray that God will discipline them. And He will. Uh, and, and God, you know, pray that God will use circumstances to wake that person up. If you see a brother or sister who's, who's living in sin, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. Don't stop praying for them. Pray that God will give them life. John says, I expect you and you have an obligation to pray for a sinner, uh, for, a, for a fellow saint who is involved in sin. OK, and he says, in fact, look at verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. And again, we all know that we've all sinned and we haven't physically died from it. We haven't physically died from it. And, and, and that John says, look, if you see a believer engaged in that, you definitely need to pray for them. All right. Believers still sin. Now, we're saints. We are a holy people, a royal nation, a people belonging to God. That's who we are. We are a new creation in Christ. But we still sometimes sin. Right. John said earlier in the in, in this text, you know, if we say that we have no sin, we are a liar. OK, we all still sin. And he said, if we sin, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. OK. And John said in, in chapter one, verse six, that if you're walking in darkness, we're not having fellowship with God. So it is possible for a believer to get caught in sin. It's very possible for a believer to voluntarily put themselves under the yoke of sin. But is it possible for a believer to commit a sin that leads to death? And of course, the answer is yes. Look at what John says. He says, there is a sin that brings to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. Now, what is he talking about? Well, obviously, a true Christ follower can't die spiritually. So we can't that. So what is he talking about here? I don't think he's talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. Now, some sins may result in physical death, like drug addiction and things like that. But when he says there is a sin, there is, there is sin that brings to death. I think what he's saying is there is a certain sin that brings death, spiritual death. 
Again, adultery, lying, stealing doesn't necessarily lead to physical death. But is there a sin that does lead to spiritual death, the ultimate death? And the answer is yes. It is rejection. It is the rejection of Christ as a Savior. It is rejection of the way to God. Jesus, Jesus being the way to God. You see, here was the issue. If you remember, we've been talking about First John for a while. He talks about earlier that there were people in the church who they appeared to be in the church, but they really weren't true believers. Back in chapter 2, he said, They went out from us, but they didn't belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out from us, so it might be clear that none of them belonged to us. In other words, John says, yes, there are people in the church who presume themselves as teachers, but when you listen to them, they're rejecting the deity of Christ, they're rejecting the humanity of Christ, they're rejecting that he was all these things, virgin-born, bodily resurrection, the miracles, the teachings. There are people, even in the church today, who, who have PhDs in religion or religious departments who are priests and pastors, but they reject some aspect of Jesus Christ. And they're not true believers. They're false teachers. And I believe that what John is saying is, yeah, there are people who are committing a sin leading to death. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. The sin that brings death is the rejection of Christ. It ultimately leads to spiritual death, spiritual separation from God. So John says, look, if you see a brother committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, you need to pray for him. On the other hand, there is a sin that leads to death. And, 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 and he's saying, look, there is a sin to, that leads to death. And I'm not saying that you should pray about that. And what's he saying? Here's what John's saying. Here's your prayer list order. Number one, we should pray for people who aren't believers, that they'll come to know Christ. Number two, we should pray for one another. Number three, people who say they're believers but are rejecting Christ in some way, that's the third priority but not the top two priorities. They've heard the truth. They know the truth. Pray for those specifically who don't know Christ and other believers who are struggling in sin. I hope I made that clear. It's kind of a tough passage. A lot of debate. Bottom line is this. Pray in confidence. How do you pray in confidence? Well, first of all, you can pray in the confidence that God hears you. How do you know God hears you? When you pray according to his will, how do you know his will? By aligning your will with his will. How do you do that? By loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. If you see a brother or sister in Christ, they're not rejecting Christ. They, they, they're a brother and sister in Christ, but they've got caught up in a sin. You definitely need to pray for them. But unfortunately, there are people who say they're Christians, but are rejecting Christ. They're not top on your prayer list. Pray for them, but they're not top on your prayer list. But I'm telling you, that's the sin that leads to death right there. Rejecting Christ. But here's the big thing I wanted to hammer home this morning. Can you pray in confidence? When you get on your knees and you pray, do you have confidence God hears you? If you're saying, Jim, I don't have confidence God hears you, then why? Is it because there's unconfessed sin in your life? Confess it. Is it because you're not loving God that you need to confess it? If you've confessed and you're doing your best to walk with the Lord and loving Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you can pray in confidence He hears you. Now, that doesn't mean God's going to give you everything you want, your will. But if you're truly praying correctly, 
at the end of the day, you'll pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Yes, I want Sally healed physically. But you know what? That may not be your will. I want your will to be done. I know this is hard for us to understand. God sees the whole picture. And God may say, I'm going to let Sally pass because guess what? Sally's one of my children and it's my life anyways. So I'm bringing her home. She's healed. I know it's going to be painful for you. But as a result of Sally's passing, there's somebody at the funeral who's going to hear the gospel who didn't hear it before. And it's going to click and they're going to respond. You see, sometimes we have to look at God's bigger picture. But at the end of the day, if you're like, God, your will be done. And if God takes Sally, it's like, okay, God, I trust you because I know you loved Sally. She loved you. I know she's healed. And so guess what, Lord? I'm okay with this. Your will be done. It might be painful for me. It was painful for Christ on the cross. But your will be done. Your will be done. Can you pray in confidence? I hope you can. I hope you can. Let's pray. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that just feels like their prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, I pray that they'll just examine their hearts. If their conscience is condemning them, then I pray that they'll repent and confess. And when we do, we know that you hear us. So, Father, help us to take comfort in that fact that when we're praying for those difficult situations in our life, help us to know that if we are loving you with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're hearing our prayers. We're not praying to the wall. We're not praying to the ceiling. We're praying to a loving Heavenly Father who hears. Lord, I pray that we will align our wills with your will and know that you're going to act in your time and in your way because you see the big picture. We don't. But help us, Lord, to be confident in our prayers. Lord, there may be some people here today that we think about who are caught in sin, who call themselves Christ followers. We lift them up to you this morning, praying for conviction, for repentance. Father, maybe you want us, out of loving for our neighbor, to be that instrument that talks to them. Father, we pray for so many people around us that don't know Christ living a life of emptiness and ultimately no hope. We pray for our relatives, for our friends who don't know Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be that salt and light, just to love them and to share with them the good news of the gospel. Father, this morning, we just wanna, I just pray that everybody here will pray in confidence. And if we're not, that we'll repent and confess so that we, the next time we get on our knees today, tomorrow we drive down the road, we can be confident you are listening. Thank you for listening this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.